0: Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today.
1: Time now for The Danny Max Show with BK, getting you inside the cards and St. Louis sports on 101 ESPN.
2: 3 2. High drive. Way back.
1: He'll admire it. Oh my goodness. Oh
0: my goodness. Long gone. There goes a He
2: steals home in October. Now that's the one that caught my attention. The home run, yes. Pretty darn good. He's back to being Babe Ruth. But then when he decides to steal home, I'm thinking, okay. This guy's ridiculous in October. Welcome in, Danny Mac Show on a Friday, and uh, I'm Danny Mac in the studios of 101 ESPN. And up on my screen, I can see him, but we're not together. He is out at Centine, where the Blues practice, and that is one Brandon Kylie. Good morning, BK. How you doing? Good
0: morning, Dan. It's great to hear from you today, and it's great to see that Randy Arena is on one once again. October happens, and then he transforms into Babe Ruth suddenly. He was the first player, Dan, in postseason history. Yes. Postseason history to hit a home run and steal home in the same game. He's the first player to steal home in the playoffs since Javi Baez five years ago. This guy's unbelievable. Every year, every year with this guy.
2: So I'm able to accept it a little bit better in this October after what I just saw with six months when the Cardinals went all in on Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, and uh, Dylan Carlson. And they said, okay, we're going to give these guys a chance to play. Let's see what they can do. Well, they did that and uh, those guys became players. Uh, You feel comfortable with the outfield going forward. But... To the greater point, holy smokes, Randy Arozarena is a talent. There's no doubt about that, and he uh, he was very streaky in the regular season this year for the Rays. I mean, there were times that you saw stuff like last night. Now, I'm not talking about stealing home, but you saw the power <clears throat> hitting to the gaps with power, the home runs, and the athleticism. He's a very very athletic player. However, um, the thing is, it, it, it's it's right now what we're what we're finding out is that. Randy Rosarena on the big stage and we'll see how it plays out because I do think Tampa Bay is going to advance and I think they're going to have a deep run on the big stage it seems like man he rises to the occasion and that to me is the, the greater point of this we all know he's talented but there are certain players that when the lights are the brightest and you're on that big stage all the cliches man, they play at a higher level. And that would right now be the case with Randy or Rosarena. Again, we got to watch how the rest of this postseason plays out. But last year and one game into this year, not a bad resume.
0: No, for sure. And I, I'm totally with you, Dan. It's such a different experience watching him this time around as opposed to last year. Last year, it was just existential dread. Every moment <laughs> that you turned on a raise game, because you were like, I know how this is going to go. And I and just And it's a reminder. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it. Like, yeah, the Cardinals messed up and blah, blah, blah. We get it, right? This year, it's totally different because it doesn't have that feeling, at least to me, of it. I look at the Cardinals corner outfield. I think they got it right. Tyler O'Neill was a superstar talent this year, and he played to that degree. Dylan Carlson is a 22-year-old that looked like a 28-year-old at the plate and on defense this year. So... I think the Cardinals are well-served with the outfielders that they have. So I'm able to just sit back at home now and watch Randy Arozarena in amazement as opposed to in befuddlement that the Cardinals let this guy get away.
2: So in the other American League game, it featured the White Sox and the Houston Astros.
0: On the hands and in the right. Welcome to the big leagues. Jake Myers, your first playoff at bat, drives in the first one of the series.
2: Alvarez sends one to left center field, Robert on the move, looking up, and it is in play. That'll score Bregman.
0: It's a double for Alvarez, and it's 3-0 Astros in game one. 2-2 to Alvarez.
2: In the air, right center field, well struck, and back to the wall, and gone. 6-0 Houston. So the Astros come out, guns a-blazing. I mentioned this, and I know that you were up early and listening in our first segment at 7 o'clock this morning. A few things that stood out from the games last night, and one of them was this Houston lineup, don't sleep on them. You know, they still have the big names that are in there, and Alvarez, Gurriel, Uh, Carlos Correa I mean this is a very good team Altuve so I I don't think we should sleep yet on Houston I I think they're going to be formidable before this one is through not to say that the White Sox won't be and they've got a great lineup and they might get through them but to the greater point, this is still a very good Houston team. And it might be their last hurrah because some of these guys have gone away and they're going to probably lose Correa. Um, but it's, man, it's really good. It's a really good team. The other thing that stood out for me, BK, and it does pertain to the Cardinals, and it pertains to what we saw in the regular season, it pertains to what we saw in the one gamer against the Dodgers walks kill. And you look at Lance Lane, had a couple of walks in that start. You look on the other side, Lance McCullers, who has had issues at times with all kinds of walks, no walks in going beyond uh, the six innings. And when you get that kind of start and you don't walk anybody and you make people earn it and put the ball in play, you have a chance to win where every little thing in postseason play is magnified. You got to find people that throw strikes. And that's what they had last night.
0: Yeah, if you look at what the Astros and the Rays had last night, they combined to allow one walk by the opposition. One between the two of them. That's what you got to do. You've got to make people earn their bases in the postseason. And far too often this year, and we saw it at times against the Dodgers as well, the Cardinals just didn't make the opposition earn it. And when you're allowing those free bases, and we saw it in the ninth inning, it ends up coming back to haunt you far too often. So moving forward, if you're to look at what are some of the lessons to be learned from this postseason, from the season that was for the Cardinals, they've just got to continue getting more strike throwers. That's out of the bullpen. That's in their rotation. They've got to make sure that they're throwing strikes consistently. And I know that sounds like amateur analysis, but man, it, it's more true even maybe with the Cardinals than anybody else because of the defense that yes, they have behind
2: them. period. End of story. I mean, I, to me, that's the best defensive uh, team in baseball. And when they started throwing strikes, well, lo and behold, they started winning games. And then Tyler O'Neill, the switch to what he did, being sandwiched between Goldie and Arnato that was a massive factor as well shortstop was something that a lot of fans were talking about today randy and michelle throughout the question you're bill DeWitt, wit and you can make one move don't worry about the finances where do you go how do you improve this club and majority of i would say the fan base and the listeners here at 101 espn are like hey go out and get a shortstop uh you know anthony Vince was with us yesterday and we talked about that situation
1: minimum i would hope that they're in on again the shortstop class that runs about four, five, six guys deep of, of truly impact players. You know, I, I think that there's there's an opportunity to do something there. Yes, I know Sosa, you know, came on strong for them this year, and you have Paul DeYoung under contract. I know all of that, but I, I just think if you can impact your lineup in a meaningful way, that's a, a clear spot for them to do it in – I'm not saying it's a buyer's market, but it is a deep market, and there's there's opportunity to be had there.
2: It's a very deep market, and we'll see if the Cardinals want to dip their toe into that market and those waters. Um, I thought the interesting point of the interview yesterday, and I agree with him, some of these guys are going to get massive deals. And whether you know the guy that I love that's out there, if you're gonna you know hold a gun to me and say, okay, you got to pick a guy, it's Corey Seeger He's a very yeah. good defensive player. He's a left-handed bat, and really, really would lengthen your lineup um, to the greater point. I do think that they need to lengthen their lineup. It's a good lineup, but I think they need to lengthen it. Um, but you you would kind of kill. Uh, two birds with one stone. You're getting a shortstop, you're getting a good defensive player, and you're getting a left-handed bat. You also have to think about the DH. Would you rather roll the dice with what you have with Short, with DeYoung and Sosa, or go out and get yourself, I don't know, Kyle Schwarber, somebody like that to lengthen your lineup? But those are the kind of things that they're going to be talking about starting today as they have their exit interviews down at Busch Stadium.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I talked about this a little bit yesterday with Mark Saxon, and he made a really good point, Dan. I feel like over the last... Really, five years or so, the Cardinals have gone into almost every offseason with a specific need in mind. Like when they got Dexter Fowler, it was we need a potential center fielder that can bat in the leadoff spot. And Dexter Fowler was clearly the top guy that fit that
2: need. And by the but, way, when they got him too, think about what you had. You had at that time Carpenter. And you had a Ledmus Diaz, and they all were high on base guys. So your first three, the idea was, man, they're going to grind that starting pitcher to make him throw on average, let's say five pitches per plate. appearance. So that guy's coming out of there. If he gets the first three with a minimum of 15 to 20 pitches to get through it, And that was yeah. the idea.
0: It made sense. It was a smart theory at the time. It didn't work out in execution as well as anybody had hoped, but it, it was a good move at the time, I thought, objectively. Mike Leak, they needed an innings eater going into that offseason, and they identified him as being that guy. You look at Andrew Miller. They felt like they needed a strikeout lefty coming out of the pen. He was the top guy on the market. This offseason, if you're looking at the Cardinals, I think there is one need that they have that's more glaring than really anything else, and it is a big bat. And this is what i'm so interested in dan is okay now where do you find that big bat we have identified shortstop as being the place that doesn't necessarily have to be the place though you could use a guy at dh and then he could roam around potentially in the outfield and that's through through elsewhere so what regardless of where he ends up landing whether it be a castellanos or jd martinez or a nelson cruz there are a lot of options for you available this offseason it's up to the Cardinals to decide which one fits best with their building plan.
2: Mark hand, he does a great job covering Major League Baseball. He's our guest next.
1: Back to more of the Danny Mac Show with BK on 101 ESPN.
2: Mark Feinsand is with MLB.com, great writer, insider. Also, you see him on MLB Network, and he joins us on Danny Mac at BK here on 101 ESPN. Hey, Mark, good morning, and thanks for uh, hopping on with us.
1: My pleasure. Good
2: morning. Yeah, let's start with, uh, and you're on in St. Louis radio, as you know, so let's start with the other night, the Dodgers and the Cardinals. What were your uh, takeaways from that one-game playoff?
1: Uh, you know the cardinals had their chances i mean I, I think most people thought going into that game that the dodgers were just going to kind of roll and uh we were going to get this dodgers giants series that everybody's been waiting for all year but you know Wayne right pitched great and and the cardinals had uh you know Scherzer are out of the game much earlier than expected uh, i thought it was uh, you know, it was a great game certainly after the the clunker we saw in the american league wild card game uh it was uh you know it was a, it was a real fun game, not if you're a Cardinal fan in the end, but uh, certainly, you know, the, the Cardinals held their own with a team that most people believe is probably the best team in the league.
0: Mark, what was the difference in your mind in terms of the Cardinals and the Dodgers and that one-game scenario? What's What's the margin that the Cardinals still need to make up?
1: Well, I mean, you know, I think just being able to come up with that timely hit is certainly the thing that would have to be the difference maker. You know, Chris Taylor came up with that, with that huge home run uh, to finally break through. But I mean, I think in a one game situation, it's harder to say, here's what they need to do. Uh, You know, wait right out, pitch Max Scherzer, who would have predicted that? So, um, you know, I think the Cardinals obviously played, you know, sort of 500 ball for most of the year had that huge winning streak that got them into the postseason. Uh, There are definitely some moves that I think they'll look to make, this offseason, I don't think they'll be, they'll be quiet. Um, you know, I think bolstering the rotation is certainly uh, going to be an area of focus. And I, and I wouldn't be surprised if they are involved in the bidding for one of these free agent shortstops. Um, you know, I think there's an upgrade that can be made there. When you were talking about guys like Trevor Story and Corey Seager and Carlos Correa, uh, etc., um, you know, there are some some big names out there that would certainly uh, you know be good additions to any team, certainly one that's trying to get back to the top of their division.
2: What are the price tags for those guys? And, and we don't know the, about the upcoming CBA, but what do you think the years and the money would look like for some of these uh, big names that are going to be available at short?
1: Well, I think they're all going to be looking for 200-plus. I don't know that they're all going to get it. I mean, Trevor Story, to me, uh, coming off of a year that was uh, certainly less... Um, sort of explosive than his normal year. Uh, He's probably the one who cost himself a little bit of money this year. Uh, Seager didn't have a great year, but obviously coming off of the the World Series MVP last year. um, And, you know, he's got another October here coming up. Um, Correa, to me, is going to be the one who gets the most money uh, of the group. I don't think any of them are going to approach the $340 million that Francisco Lindor got uh, from the Mets. But it's going to cost, it's going to, you know, these guys are all fairly young and it's going to, it's going to cost you, you know, figure six, seven years at, you know, 30 or so, 25 to 30 million a year on the, on the floor.
0: If you were in Mo's shoes, would you be willing to do that given where the Cardinals currently are in their roster construction?
1: Well, again, I don't spend other people's money. I don't know what the budget's going to look like and, um, you know, how that's going to fit in, who they may move out, uh, you know, to create some flexibility and, um, but certainly, I think adding one of those bats to that lineup uh, would 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 make the Cardinals, a, a, you know, sort of a much bigger threat than they than they were in the Central this year.
2: Mark, uh, when you look at, and I, I think if we learn anything here in St. Louis, is that with this defense, if you have those that throw strikes, you are going to have a chance to win. Now, that's cliche. You throw strikes anyway, you are going to have a chance to win. But especially with this elite defense, I think they need to. Um, and I was one of them, I'm guilty of it. I thought they had enough pitching going into the season. They didn't. So they're going to have to bolster that a little bit. Who are some of the big names, and then who are some that are maybe under the radar that you could see potentially uh, going to the St. Louis Cardinals or any team, but those that are kind of under the radar going into free agency?
1: Well, I think the it's funny. The big names are all older pitchers this year. You've got Max Scherzer. You've got uh, Zach Greinke, Clayton Kershaw, and Justin Verlander for, uh, you know, Future Hall of Fame pitchers, who are all free agents. Verlander's coming off the of Tommy John. Scherzer, I think the Dodgers are going to do, you know, whatever they can to try to retain him. He's obviously been, uh, you know, a, a huge difference maker for them since they acquired him. I know there was a lot of buzz about, you know, Scherzer potentially being a target for the Cardinals coming home to St. Louis. I, I just think, you know, he seems to fit in really well with the Dodgers, and it would not surprise me if he. If he stayed out there, Kevin Gosman from the Giants is going to be a big target for a lot of people. Thirty-one years old, uh, coming off of an outstanding season this year and a very good season in the in the sixty-game shortened season last year. Uh, you know, he took that qualifying offer last year and sort of put a bet on himself to have another big year, and that's going to translate into a nice contract for him. But I don't think you're looking at any of these guys getting that. Uh, you know, sort of huge Garrett Cole type contract. Nobody is going to be in that realm. So, uh, you know, if you're willing to go out and and spend 20, 25 million a year on a pitcher for three or four years, uh, I think there are guys out there to be had. Um, But I don't, you know, there there is no sort of young ace in his prime uh, in this in this free agent class, Marcus Stroman is another guy who I think is going to be uh, highly sought after. Carlos Rodon from the White Sox is a free agent. Robbie Ray, 30 years old, likely going to be the Cy Young Award winner in the American League. Um, but even coming off of a Cy Young season, he doesn't have that track record of uh, you know six or seven years of dominance. So, uh, Gosman, Ray, Stroman, I think are going to be three of the big names you hear a lot this winter.
0: Mark Feinstein is our guest here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Mark, as you look towards the off season and we start to talk about some of these signings, I, I can't help but wonder how the CBA negotiations are going to impact all of this because if they're not able to get that done early, in your opinion, does that push back some of the, the signings, the uh, intrigue that we're talking about right now?
1: I think it probably pushes back some of the, the big names that we're talking about. You know, I, I don't think... Any owner is going to approve a two hundred million dollar deal uh, without knowing what the CBA looks like in terms of luxury tax and uh, and things like that. Universal DH is going to come into play with some of these teams. You know, if you've got a guy in your infield who's getting older and you think could be a DH in the making, uh, you know, let, let's look for instance at the Dodgers, right? Justin Turner playing third base. There are those who believe if the universal DH comes into play next year, that Turner could wind up being a DH and maybe the Dodgers go pursue a third baseman, Uh, you know, maybe a Chris Bryant, for instance. So I think the the lack of a CBA will slow some things up. You've seen some teams already sign some players to extensions and, uh, you know, sort of take care of some in-house stuff. Um, I don't think that That kind of thing will be impacted quite as much, but I think certainly when when it comes to the the big free agents, let's say the top 20 or 25 free agents, um, I'd be kind of surprised if any of those guys sign uh, before there's a new deal.
2: Mark, when we get that new CBA, is there any doubt in your mind that we have DH in the National League, expanded playoffs, some of those things, and maybe some others that you can add to that list that we might have coming up?
1: Uh, I think Universal DH seems like a no-brainer. Both sides seem to want it, uh, but neither of them wants to kind of say that because they want to use it as a chip in the in bargaining, it seems. Um, but I do expect that there will be Universal DH. Expanded playoffs, I would I would guess that those would be a part of this as well. Um, you know, the, the Player Association seems a little hesitant about um, agreeing to that. They think that there's going to be, uh, you know, sort of less reason for – teams to get aggressive and and really go after it if there are so many playoff spots. I sort of look at it the opposite as, uh, you know, if you're letting 14 teams into the playoffs, that gives more teams a reason to try rather than saying, well, if we're just going to win 84 games or 85 games, that's not going to be good enough, so let's just win 75, get a better draft pick, spend less money, and try to do the rebuild thing. Um, You know, if 85, 86 wins has a chance to get you in the playoffs, I think you're going to see teams um, really try to be more competitive. So I think those two things for sure uh, are going to be in the mix. You know, the union's going to be looking for uh, new structuring in terms of uh, when players are arbitration-eligible or free agency-eligible um, because players aren't getting paid into their 30s the way they used to, um, that that's going to be a real big issue. But, um, you know, I'm an optimist. I hope that uh, that the sides understand that there's a lot at stake and that, uh, you know, we, we saw what happened in 1994. It's a long time ago, but it's still fairly fresh in people's minds. It took baseball a while to sort of win the fans back, and, and they've had 25-plus years of labor peace, and you'd hope that... Uh, for the good of the game and and everything else that they, they figure out a way to get this done.
0: Mark, most of the time spent here in St. Louis early, as we have kind of done the post-mortem on the season has been spent talking about the shortstops that you mentioned earlier. If the Cardinals decide that that's too rich for their blood and they want to look kind of at the, the second tier position players, who are some of the names that you think might be intriguing for them, whether it be as a DH option or potential fourth
1: outfielders, who
0: are some of the more intriguing names that are maybe on that second tier of free agent?
1: down the list of of lower (laughs) free agents. You know, I'm still writing all my preview material on the the big guys. Um, But there will be um, you know, there there are guys who are sort of, you know, candidates for bounce-back years. I mean, I look at a guy like Marwin Gonzalez, who's had a couple of bad years, um, but he was a really good player. And he's going to be I would assume, available at a relatively affordable price. Uh, Jose Iglesias is another shortstop who, if you don't want to go for the big guys, he had a really nice year. Uh, you know, the Red Sox miss him right now. They, they acquired him the day after um, the, the the postseason deadline to have players on your roster, so he's not eligible to play for them in the postseason, uh, and I think they could really use him right now. Uh, Chris Taylor, I think, is going to be a guy who, uh, you know, I don't know if he'd be very popular in <laughs> St. Louis, but, uh, you know, he, he's one of those jack-of-all-trades guys who can play everywhere and really help a team. Uh, and, and, you know, the Dodgers may not, if they're going to go, you know, try to sign one of the big shortstops, or, or actually I guess Trey is going to be there at shortstop, but, you know, if they're talking about bringing back Scherzer um, and you know, they've got a whole bunch of other guys, free agents as well, uh, maybe Taylor falls through the cracks there. Yeah. Um, trying to think of who else is out there who could potentially be sort of that, that fourth outfield type. I mean, you've got some guys like Corey Dickerson, Jock Peterson, um, uh, Kevin Pillar, who, who everywhere he goes seems to, to do well and help a team win. Uh, there, there are plenty of those mid-level talents out there, but obviously the, uh, you know, until all the big guys are signed, the, the focus is going to remain on them.
2: Hey, Mark, you're based out of New York, correct? Yes. And for the better part of your career covering the Yankees?
1: Covered
2: the Yankees for 16 seasons. Yeah, and I, I used so to I read... Like about 160. Yeah, <laughs> I, and I uh, I can only imagine, and that's where I was going with this, because I used to read your stuff all the time, the various stops you were at, and now I'm reading you at MLB.com. I watch you on MLB Network. I am curious if, you know, we had like the post-mortem, as BK said, with some fans in like Alex Reyes in that spot, and there's frustration, and you understand that. And New York is a great baseball town, the Yankees' historic franchise, what was it like in New York the day after with Garrett Cole? What was that like?
1: Um not happy. Yeah. <laughs> uh you know when you when you pay a guy 324 million dollars, you expect him to show up when when the games matter the most and uh you know Cole's pitched well in the playoffs before. I, I think you know there's a lot of speculation. He had a really bad last month, right? September 7th he hurt his hamstring. Didn't miss a start, but never looked the same, pitched to about a 70 RA the rest of the way, including the wild card game. Uh, so some people are wondering, like, was the hamstring really as healthy as he said it was okay? There's um, other people speculating about, as the weather turned a little chillier, uh, the lack of sticky stuff. Uh, did that impact Cole? So there's a lot of conspiracy theories out there about why Cole didn't pitch well, and um, I don't know which one is the right one. I don't know if any of them are the right ones. It could be a situation where the Red Sox just, you know, have seen him a lot and they just had his number and figured him out. Um, But certainly he was not a very popular figure in New York the day after that wild card game because losing – uh and having your season disappear in one game is bad enough when it happens against the red Sox, it's uh, it's a whole other stratosphere
2: as you talk to people and i know you know a lot of people in the game did you find that the spider tack and the sticky stuff that it made a massive impact in the game in terms of having better offense and we would have probably enough to look at about a four-month period to look at some of the numbers did you did you feel that it made a big difference
1: I'm not sure it made a huge difference throughout most of the season. You know, the first week or two, there was so much talk about it. Uh, I think pitchers adapted. They figured it out. um, And I I think what you were really more interested in seeing is how is it going to impact October? Because, you know, in the middle of the summer, humid nights, uh, a lot of these places you're, you can sort of between the rosin and everything else and, and the humidity, you can, you can get some good tack on the ball in October. Uh, in certainly in, in northeast you know your Bostons your New York's uh, places like that where it's a little chillier uh, you don't have quite as good of a grip on that ball that ball's a little slicker and so uh, what will October look like without uh, the ability to to use some of that stuff on the ball I think that's going to be something interesting to watch um, but you know I think it certainly helped the offense uh, you know boost a little bit but I don't think it was a um, you know, sort of a huge game-changing thing. I think initially the, just getting used to it for the pitchers and getting used to the, the checks and all that. Now, you know, nobody even notices that pitchers are getting checked on their way in and out of games, and uh, it's just sort of part of the, part of the atmosphere now.
2: So, Mark, we appreciate your time. Uh, looking forward to seeing what this offseason brings. Hopefully a CBA before anything, before anything else gets done. And uh, it should be an interesting run in this postseason. Love your work at MLB.com and also uh, seeing you pop on on the network. So thanks for hopping on with us. Appreciate it. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. You got it. That's uh, Mark uh, Feinsand, and um, he is a baseball insider. I mean, he, he knows a lot of different people in the game. And unfortunately, even with us, BK, you know, the first couple of things we're talking about, it's almost like you have to preface every statement with, well, when then if the CBA gets done? I don't like that, but I do think we are going to have a situation where... It gets done because of his point, and and it's a valid point. Um, you know, I was right around baseball doing that stuff in 95 and saw the empty stadiums. I, I saw them bring Ken Griffey Jr. to Bush Stadium for an exhibition game when the game came back to try to, you know, stir up some fan interest. Um, You can't have that again, and certainly with the time frame of what we're dealing with, with COVID and and the shutdowns and the various things that we had, and the momentum, what I would assume will be a great postseason. It's already been good so far. You just can't have a shutdown. you got to keep the momentum going.
0: Yeah, they've got to get this done. Um, This is one of the more uh, important off-seasons, in my mind, for baseball because of what the last 18-plus months has looked like for the sport. There were a lot of people that were turned off with the way that the last 18 months went for baseball, and they need to keep those people captured. Coming off of what should be a very exciting postseason, especially here in St. Louis, I know it didn't go the Cardinals' way, but the last... What, 45 days of watching Cardinals baseball has been outstanding. And if they can keep that momentum going and they get the offseason kicked off the way that it should be, uh, there's the potential to keep Cardinals fans engaged in a way that is meaningful.
2: Okay, so I'm going to ask you the question that we threw out to the listeners this morning. Uh, You got an open checkbook, money, not an option. You're the Cardinals. What do you want to do?
0: Man, I think the number one option for them is Corey Seager. He makes all the sense in the world. You mentioned it earlier. He's a left-handed bat. He fits the spot that you you potentially can upgrade the easiest. It's the easiest to upgrade at shortstop, and he's a really good hitter and also quite good defensively. So Corey Seager is the one that makes the most sense, but if you don't want to spend 30 plus million over seven-plus years... I get that if you're the Cardinals, and if you decide to go down a step from that, I phrased the question poorly for fine sand, and I apologize for that. But what I was really looking for is kind of that second tier free agent, the Michael Confortos, the Eduardo Escobars, those guys that could be available. I do think there are a lot of options for the Cardinals if they decide to go into that market. So I, I, I think you could go there and I don't think it would be a bad off season for them. I think they could get a couple of those guys and it poten- potentially helps you a lot.
2: Yeah. He mentioned some names. You just mentioned a couple of names that would certainly intrigue me. Conforto had a really down year by his standards in New York. The thing is, and it's kind of like the Jock Peterson thing of a year ago. Sometimes these players don't view themselves as a fourth outfielder, or yep. I'm just going to be hamstrung against facing right-handed pitching, which is what Jock Peterson wanted a chance to play every day against righties and lefties. I don't fancy myself as a DH. And, oh, by the way, my age is late 20s, early 30s. I still have everyday ability in me, and I don't want to be you know, put into that corner. That's the fine line that you have to, when you're Gershon and Moe, It's not only talking to the player, but talking to the agent and saying, well, what's your guy thinking here? What, uh, you know, obviously he wants to make the most money he can. And sometimes the most money comes from finding a role that keeps you in the game long term. Now is long term as an everyday player or is it coming off the bench? That is decided a lot of times by the eye of the beholder and your age and all the things and the factors that go into it. So that's where this gets really interesting. And we're not behind the scenes in some of those conversations where for me or you or the the listener out there, it's, it's really easy to say, well, go get that guy. Well, yeah, I, I like the guy too, but he's trying to reset a market right. or he's looking for three or he's looking for X amount of dollars and it just doesn't fit. It's, it's just trying to figure out the pieces of the puzzle. and It does get kind of complicated.
0: Yeah. And that's why, like for a guy like Conforto, he's going to get paid, whether it be a one year pillow deal or if he gets a multi year contract this year, he's going to get paid and he's going to play every day when I say fourth outfielder. And I I, again, I phrased it poorly. um, But when I say that, what I mean is that the definition has kind of changed for the Cardinals going into next offseason if there is a designated hitter, because Conforto could filter through as a starter as both the DH and then giving guys days off. So you could give Dylan Carlson, instead of him being out of the lineup on any given day, now he can go be a DH once every two weeks. And you can do the same thing for Tyler O'Neill. And if you could do that with Harrison Bader as well, you can filter uh, Dylan Carlson over into center. You can put Conforto into the corner and you can make things work that way. He's just one potential name that kind of fits sure. that criteria. Nick Castellanos is another one that I know we have spent some time oh, talking about. Yeah uh Starling Marte is a really intriguing player as well there's a lot of guys that could be available this offseason that make some sense for the Cardinals it's just a matter of where they want to add that talent and what they think gives them the best bang for their buck offensively
2: you know it's interesting too BK is that we don't have the idea I think we all have general thoughts on where uh payroll may go or what you have to do with the CBA But we don't know. We don't know the finer points of that until it gets signed and it's done and agreed upon and and you move on. And from an organizational standpoint, and I'll just use the Cardinals as an example, they've got two young, very good players coming up in Nolan Gorman, and I'm talking position players, and you got Jordan Walker. So if you're Mo, you're, you're thinking about the now, I need to win now, but I'm also, here's my my board, if you will, of what I think we look like in 23 and 24 and 25. And here is projected arbitration. Here's projected long-term deal if we can get a guy signed. And that means our budget goes up by X. And to fit under that number, this is what we have to do. I mean, there's a lot of things that, man, that go into this stuff. And in terms of the Cardinals and really any nationally team, but when you're thinking about adding a DH, it really does – change your off-season plans American League teams a lot of them have their DH and they know what direction they're going to go nationally teams that's a new wrinkle in this thing which I think makes it fun it's gonna make it really interesting what you may do and try to get creative this offseason
0: yeah it opens up more opportunities because a guy like uh, Chris Taylor now can come in and you can use some of those opportunities for him to play everywhere on the team and and you can filter through Nolan Arenado gets a day off and he's a designated hitter. Paul Goldschmidt, same thing, same thing for your outfielders. So it, it opens up more opportunities for a team like the Cardinals to go into this offseason. And unlike other years where we've got to have a left handed bullpen arm, we've got to have a leadoff hitting outfielder. It really is as simple as, hey, who's the t- who's the player that can help us the most? And how does he fit into this puzzle that we are trying to put together for 2022? Certainly when I think they have a real chance to win in a big way, Dan, but also for 2023 and beyond.
2: Can't get enough cards talk? You've come to the right place.
1: Back to more of the Danny Mac Show with BK on 101 ESPN. Over the years, there's been a lot of bad contract. That's not how it works to win championships. You've got to spend the money on the big, important players, the starting rotation and the bats in the middle. And then you can, I mean, all you got to do is look at Tampa Bay and San Francisco and Oakland. You can win with average players around the diamond. You, you can win with average and above average players as long as you have the stars
2: that can carry you. Jim Bowden earlier uh, this summer That was with BK and Ferrario And uh, there's a lot of truth to that too You gotta hit You know, if you're a small market team And you invest in, let's say, Christian Yelich, And Christian Yelich gets hurt You could be hamstrung by a contract Or you can be the Dodgers And you sign Trevor Bauer And that becomes a disaster. And then you throw uh, some deals out there and young prospects and get Max Scherzer and Trey Turner and then potentially sign Max Scherzer for an extension for three years and let's just say $150 million. That's how it works, PK. It's just uh, different strokes for different folks, my man.
0: Yeah, for sure. I'm fascinated to see what the approach is going to be this offseason for the Cardinals, because I I feel like they could go either route. I, I really do. I think that it makes some sense for them to go with the big bat, Corey Seager or otherwise. It also I think you could they could describe it to me as if they they saw what the Giants did this year and the way that they approached things. And I would totally understand why they would go for more depth as opposed to the big time bat that's going to cost them 25 plus million dollars per season. I could see either route being the right one,
2: especially potentially with the DH and trying to get creative with it, which is something that you talked about. John Mosaylock, right after the game had ended, uh, Jim Hayes dist- I, I mentioned it yesterday, did a fabulous job on Valley Sports. He was running all over Dodger Stadium, getting reaction, pulling guys out of the clubhouse. And that doesn't happen without his relationships with players, especially after a tough loss. And One of the guys he got with was John Mozalock and he asked him about his expectations going forward.
0: Well, what you hope is every individual t- takes a look at what they can take away from this year, but I mean, clearly you don't want to put yourself in a situation where you need a September like that. What you're hoping to do is is ultimately win your division and then give yourself a
1: better chance in October. Uh, you know, given the year we had, we were perfectly happy with getting that
2: uh, one-game chance tonight, but unfortunately it didn't work out. It's a valid point. I mean, the team got together and made a run to where I felt like, hey, if they got past the Dodgers, I wouldn't have been surprised whatsoever if they got into the World Series. And moving forward, um, I said this on the morning show, BK, I, I look at the Cardinals, it'll be really interesting The 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 Milwaukee Brewers have a lot of guys coming up for arbitration. I mentioned the Yellich contract, which kicks in at a lot of money next year. Um, do they start trading off some of these guys because they can't afford them in the budget? So that's something to think about. And with the Cardinals, the way they finished, and if... You anticipate them adding, which I would. Uh, you would have to say that maybe the Cardinals go in next year, especially if they add pitching, in my opinion. Are they the team to beat in the Central next season? Now, we don't know what the Cubs are going to do. They could go gangbusters and free agency. Pittsburgh is rebuilding. Cincinnati, I think they need Nick Castellanos. If they don't get him back, that's not the same team. So it's going to be an interesting offseason in that regard.
0: Oh, for sure. And I, I think... Uh regardless of where we're at right now by opening day of 2022 the expectation should be that the Cardinals will be the favorites in the central like that that's what this offseason needs to be about because you are still in the prime and you're getting towards the back end of the prime with guys like Arenado and Goldie and you have one more year remaining of Waino and Yachty you go into next year and it's one of two years left on the contract for Jack Flaherty This is your winning window. You're in it right now, and it's got to be for the next couple of years in particular. The Cardinals don't go all in, and I'm not asking them to go all in on any one individual season – but they should be pushing. Now is the time to push towards being the best team in the division and going into next year not having to play in that one-game wild card to be able to continue into the postseason. That should be the expectation going into the offseason.
2: All right. Uh, you've got your show coming up. You guys are out at Centene. Is the, uh, are the Blues practicing out there today, or are they down at they Enterprise? They are,
0: yeah. They're finishing up right now, so they are practicing today. Alex has been out there watching that as we are on the show hoping to get a player to drop by not sure if or when that will take place today dan but either way we are going to be talking a lot of cardinals baseball between now and the end of the show alex was out yesterday so this will be his first uh, opportunity to be able to react to the game that was on wednesday night
2: so now you've had a chance to sleep on it you, you you okay i mean were you able to sleep i mean what what are you thinking What what any more takeaways from the other night that you've come up with
0: Um, I, I think the biggest thing, Dan is like, they asserted themselves pretty well. I know it didn't end the way that we wanted it to, but everybody was saying that this was a matchup between two teams that are not similar. They are not of the same ilk. The Cardinals are not in the same class is something that Jeff Passon wrote as the Dodgers and over a five or seven game series. I could see that argument, but This is what I was saying ahead of that game and why I was so skeptical of people that were picking the Dodgers to win in a route. The Cardinals are a good baseball team. And in a one-game scenario where they can just go all out for that game, they have every opportunity to win. And they did. And they weren't able to get the big hit. They ended up going 0 for 11 with runners in scoring position. But, man, they were right there. And if you can add a couple of key contributors going into this offseason, I I think they're going to be right there once again going into 2022.
2: Hey, looking forward to your show. Have a great weekend, uh, my man
0: absolutely same to you dan i will talk to you next week
2: you got it that is uh, bk and he's got alex coming up they'll be out at centine hopefully a blues player stops by a lot of baseball talk tanner great job we'll talk to everybody uh i have my charity golf tournament on monday so i'll talk to everybody on tuesday here on 101 espn
1: peloton let's go this holiday with the right music